I'm Heidi Zuckerman, and this is Conversations About Art. I've spent my life connecting people to art to make their lives better. This podcast talks about art in contemporary culture and why we should care. Each episode is an impactful conversation with people I find interesting and think you will too about their life, values, and always about why they think art matters. This is Conversations About Art. Hey everyone, thanks so much for joining in today. I love this conversation with Jerome Sands. He is someone who I have known about for a really long time. I've been a great fan and admirer of his work. I have visited many of the spaces and museums that he's created. I think we first interacted or crossed paths in 2008 in Beijing. Today was the first time that we actually had a conversation, that we really talked about our values around why museum and art spaces matter, what we hope our audience will take away, and how we think things can be done better. You don't smell the direction, the director, or the staff, or the community of people that they consider the residents of an institution. You don't feel them. You feel an administration. You feel a system, but you don't feel the spirit. You don't feel a flavor. If I go to your house, I want to discover the way you live by having the different objects that give you your personality, by the smell of different rooms, by the material I will discover. I want to find that in the session as well. It's that simple. Thanks so much for tuning in. Let's start with a big question about why you love art. I think culture is a backbone of our society. And most people don't understand it's not just a cherish on a cake. The cake would have no taste. The cake would have no form. The cake would not be sexy at all. So what makes me interesting in art? It makes my life different every moment. Why? Because I feel to be part of the culture of my time. Like with not just myself, but with many other people around the world. We have this conscious as we are going from one moment to another one, that it's moving and not just stable, but it's it's moving to an unknown direction. So this is this excitement that I felt since I was quite young to be part of the culture I was living in. So for me, art is, is this, is to have a reason to live. If there were no art, life would have no taste, as I said earlier, no interest at all. It's too basic, too predictable, not interesting at all. It makes everything with a different you know, perspective. It makes people sharing. It makes people that from different backgrounds, from different culture, from different way of thinking, speaking all together and, and create an interesting dialogue between people where I can get to know things that I was not expecting. And people could maybe learn from you, from me, from other people. So it's kind of uh, the only place that people that are so different from each other are sharing a moment to, together. It can be from reading a book, watching a movie, or looking at an exhibition, experiencing an, an immersive installation. It's that moment that is unique, that you can't find in any information. If you just watch the world the way it is, I found it absolutely uninteresting at all. 
too flat. I believe you, and I, I know that what you're saying is true. I wonder how you know that that's true. When people ask you, how do you know? What, what examples do you give? Well, I would say most of my life now has been on that road. So it's not just a, a new discovery. It has yes. been a kind of a roller coaster life with some high moment, some middle moment, some very down moment, some success, some failure in that sense. And all that made something quite interesting. Quite interesting because, again, it has always been taking me to a permanent experience, a permanent cultural and human experience wherever I was in the world, getting to know things that I would have never even just touched before if I had followed the traditional uh, road that the society was putting in front of my nose. I would have never lived, experienced, shared anything that I have had, and I don't regret anything. So the choice was the only one I could do without even thinking at the beginning. I knew it was there, and I knew I wanted to jump on it as soon as possible. When you look at all the places you've worked and all the things you've done, and we'll talk more specifically, what are the things that you would describe as as your greatest successes? I never know what means success because the moment you have the success, it's already gone. So I never thought about success. The only thing that I could think, it was a, a chance to keep going, to keep reinventing myself, not stopping any flow at any moment and not being impressed by what people call success. Because once you are too uh, drunk with your success, you become blind, you become totally unaware of what you are really facing. And I have never been interested by what was yesterday. It's the moment I am now and tomorrow interests me more. So success, I never understood what it means because I always know that the success is what is so ephemeral, beyond ephemeral. So for me, the only glorious thing I have in mind is the chance to still be here, still be able to reinvent myself and share that with some other people and have this kind of collective joy to do things together. So this is for me, the only success is that, is to share. The success is about the life as a mission and a mission that has a beginning and an end. The success, you always leave it behind because as I said, you know, like when we are young and you had one second success in your school, it's gone a minute afterwards. So, and you can't live on it at any moment. You always have to prove that you are still able to make things that are relevant in the world we are living in. So there is no permanent success. So it doesn't exist. I love when my friends or people around me or in my world are growing having more visibility or more possibilities with what they are doing. So for me, my, my excitement is not just on myself, but on, in my environment with the people I have had a moment in life and I see them growing and I see them sometimes rocketing, sometimes failing, sometimes moving on the side or slippery. So, but we are all going through that. There is no one that has not known this kind of roller coaster situation. So success doesn't exist with no failure. Failure doesn't exist with no success. 
So for me, life is a permanent battle or, or, or juggling from one to another one. And that's the beauty of it, because you will never understand the smell and the joy of having one or the other. What do you think the world needs right now in, in terms of institutions? I would say in general, the world needs more culture because all the problem we have and we are facing now is a lack of culture on the other, on the other side. So whatever we see at this moment in different places in the world that are blocking everyone, it's exactly that. It's a miss of culture, the miss of understanding of what are the other, and the other is in often inside yourself. So you often forget that your origins, where you come from, where we will go afterwards. So we often forget that. So, so for me, the problem of our time is this lack to understanding that culture is again something that we all need. More we will have culture everywhere. It doesn't mean people have to go through big schools. But sharing the importance of that can change the perspective you may have on your neighborhood, on your uh, other communities, on other people. So many misunderstandings exist because there is a lack of dialogue, lack of exchanges. And culture is about that. So for me, the, the, we need more culture in general. So to go back to your second part of your question, what is the need in institutions? What, what was your question, right? So for me, I don't know if it's a myth, but I am interested in institutions that have no model, that have the courage to face the world we are living in, and people who have a position, a clear one. I know it's not that easy to do, but I respect the ones that are clear with where they are, why they are doing this, and what is their goal, what they are inventing. Because the problem is not just to be hired in a museum and say, well, I'm fantastic, I'm the director of this or that museum, less or more important. For me, it's not the point. What people are doing with their tool. Because sometimes, you know, people, children have beautiful toys, but they don't do anything with that. And you have people who have no money and they do great things with zero. So for me, the same with institutions, you know. The problem is most people maybe... Uh, are less creative than their title say. The real problem in our world, in this contemporary art world, is sometimes we are too conservative, sometimes too ignorant of what the way of living is around ourselves and sometimes a little further down. So how to be connected with the way of living, the way of breathing, the way of, of, of living, you know? So for me, a lot of institutions are disconnected to the reality. It's not a new factor, you know? When I came to the art world, Douglas Crimp was screaming or was claiming to open the windows of institution to the outside. Something very simple to do. It's like in your house, you need to once in a while to bring some fresh air inside and to not be afraid of the outside coming to your house. Because if you live in a neighborhood, you need to be part of this neighborhood. Otherwise, you're not part of this neighborhood. You're living on another planet. You live on a cloud. This notion of being connected to your neighborhood, to your village, to the nation in which you are, and to the globe, to the world. How to be connected to all those different steps that make the reality. How to include the other where there is no inclusion. How you open those new doors. And it's very strange because despite many uh, experiments, people are still 
complex. So many communities face complex. Many cities where I go to push the door of an institution because often they are welcoming people that are so far away from what you find in, let's say, in a hotel or in a bar or in, a, in any shop where you go, people just open, you open the door and say, hello, how are you today? Can I help you? In this instance, most people on galleries, they look at their, their, their computer and they think they are super cool. So for me, the problem starts with that. We think we are, we have a different system. You know, the world has no different system. You know, our audience understand that. It's very simple. What more, more welcoming you are, more normal you are with anyone. Those people will understand that and they will want to be with you and will want, you want to feel your vibration throughout the room, throughout the doors, throughout every spaces of your place. So for me, often the problem is you don't smell the direction, the director or the staff or the community of people that they consider the resident of an institution. You don't feel them. You feel an administration. You feel a system, but you don't feel the spirit. You don't feel a flavor. If I go to your house, I want to discover the way you live by having the diff different objects that give you your personality, by the smell of different rooms, by the material I will discover. I want to find that in an institution as well. It's that simple. And often I found frozen, like in a supermarket, everything is frozen. Same lightning, same system, same hanging, same way of communicating. It's not, uh, it's not possible for me. It's a little sad sometimes. I'm super excited and interested by a lot of what you shared, and it's really in alignment with the direction that we are following when we open the new Orange County Museum of Art, and the direction that I've given is to our team to think about it as an art sanctuary. So the clothing that we're choosing for the guides who are welcoming people when they come to the museum, the color scheme, we're working on a scent for everyone who's working and interacting in the public space. I'm even not sure I should say this on the podcast yet, but we're exploring whether when people come to the museum, we can give them a hot towel, like, you know, when you're flying on a plane or you go to a Japanese restaurant to have ritual and to have ceremony and to have simple instructions, like five steps on how to look at art. And of course, everyone who comes into the museum, you know, welcome to the Orange County Museum of Art, looking everyone in the eye, smiling at them, not sitting just behind this desk and being distanced. Your career is very interesting because you've worked in all of these different countries and there are different cultural norms, right? But even within America, there's a difference between working on the East Coast and the West Coast and the middle and how people feel welcomed and you know what that means and the intricacies of the social intelligence that comes from picking up on making people feel welcome. But I have to say in America, you have this great culture where, again, in every bar, in every restaurant, in every shop, everyone is welcoming you. So there's yes. something we can't complain with your country because it's everywhere. It's a basic smile. It's a basic engagement that you have immediately with people. So it's something quite unique in America in general. I have to say. Yes, I think that's true. And as we've been looking to hire our frontline staff, we're looking in hospitality, people that have worked in hotels and spas and yoga studios and places where you know people are prioritizing this kind of life balance. Mm. I'm totally online with you on that. It's key to have this, uh, why we would have a difference between 
our system and again the reality of where we like to go. Yeah. Tell our listeners about your most recent appointment in Mexico and the establishment of a, a new cultural institution. And I would say that that's kind of your specialty, serving in these roles, these founding director roles. I'm not sure. I'm less focused on titles than maybe other people are. But talk about this particular institution first. You're right. I, you know, I, I have always been interested by people or places that wanted to leave a collective change and you know, something special. So here in Mexico City, it's a very interesting uh, new adventure because first the place, the place is quite special. It's a asymmetric, hyperbolic concrete building built in 1964 by very young architect. He was 24 years old at the time. His name is Alfonso Ramirez Ponce. And he was in the line of Miss Van der Rohe, you know, kind of modernist thing. So it's, you have this kind of utopian building that has been known by everybody in Mexico to be the place of celebration. Mm. Celebration of birthday, uh, New Year, uh, wedding, many other things. So it was just about this idea of celebration. And then they, unfortunately, the guy is a restaurant made a kind of a bankruptcy. So they, they lost the place. The city took it over. And two people, two young people, uh, early 40s, decided to take over this building and to build something something different. Not a, an extension of the gallery, not an art center, but something different. So it's where they asked me to join the adventure to define a place that is a kind of a snowball. A, no, a non-defined thing at the beginning, but something that will grow progressively with different usage that will come regularly and, and not having frozen thing from the beginning. I was absolutely excited from the beginning when they proposed me to join this adventure because, of course, uh, as I told you, I am very interested in, in culture, but as well human experience. So these two persons are really interesting and very generous and very smart and very... Uh, they wanted to have a, a third partner to discuss the entire model and to define the DNA of the place and to share together something where I could learn as well, something very interesting with them because I, I'm not Mexican, as you, as you know, as you can hear. And that was very interesting from the beginning for that because it was the place, iconic place, that we cleaned it and to find its, uh, its roots, destroyed all the fake walls, fake ceilings, to find its original form. We started from an initial state, not saying like most of my friends, when they want to open a place, they want to finalize everything, everything is, is perfect and they open. You don't feel the energy of a place when you wait too long. It's like when you open your house to your friend, you don't care, it's not totally finished. You want to test your house, maybe you will change your, your bed in your room, maybe you will change the table in the dining room, it is the orientation. So you want to test this life with your friend. So it's the same thing here. The, the place has been open from the beginning like this, with a restaurant, a bar, and one exhibition. But it was just the little start. And every six months, we will bring something totally different. That if you come every six months, you will not recognize the place. You will have something totally mm -hmm. different part of it. So you will rediscover the entire building. It is kind of a laboratory. 
that has been drawn at the time. This place, why I was excited, because it was after these two years of lockdown, where we were all dreaming of a better life, we were all rethinking of our working, and we were all rethinking about the position of the world in terms of ecology and how to, maybe as a urban uh, lover, how to reconnect with nature mm-hmm. and how to have another way of living with a more expanded notion of time because we live in an ex- extraordinary short span of time. We are always in a hurry, always stressed. Everything is as fast as possible. Here, when you go there, it's located in one of the biggest urban parks in the world, Chapitalpec, but it's inside the city. It's not like in Paris, we have a big park, Bois Boulogne, but it's in the suburb. Here, it's in the middle of the city. And people go there for jogging, for picnic, for gathering, for meeting friends, colleagues, and things like this. So when you go there, you put yourself in another state of mind. It takes you to another dimension. So immediately, you want to spend an hour, not 10 minutes. I enter and I leave as I even myself do, when I go to see shows and sometimes museums, I spend 10 minutes, sometimes in museums. Here, it's a notion of how we reconnect with time, with friends or with other people inside, with family or whoever, but discovering, sharing, and trying to reinvent together the world we are living in. How to look at ourselves through nature. It's not just another white cube, but a, a destination with a real experience to live. You may not accept it, it's okay, but it exists. You can go there, breathe with an, and look at the world with another pair of eyes. I love Mexico City. I love the park. I agree with you that the experience that people have kind of right before they enter a place is so important. And if you just like get out of a, a taxi, like having been rushed through traffic, you know, talking on your cell phone, and then you like go into the museum or the art space or whatever, it's a completely different experience than if you walk through the park and you're interacting with other people and you're stepping on leaves. And, you know, so you have sounds, you have these different kind of tactile experiences. There's a way of preparing the visitor for their experience without them even necessarily knowing, because they don't know that that's all preparation for the experience of of interacting with the art. I was very interested in this idea of taking a building that already had these positive associations, you know, a place of celebration and, and memory and gathering and community and allowing the energy that existed in the building before to still exist as a, as a memory and then building upon that. I'm also very interested in this idea of extended temporality. Like you don't have to come every week and every time you come, it's going to be a little bit different. Yes. Again, it's like when my children come to my house, the first thing they ask me, what is different in your house? You know? <laughs> and they are so excited to see you. Even if it's a small candle you know, somewhere, they are excited to see something different, not just you're always the same regular situation. We love that. We, we need to have something that is vibrant in that sense, that it's a living body, not just like a fixed situation. And what makes it very exciting as well is Mexico and Mexico City has been one of the most vibrant places in the last years. Uh, I totally agree. Creative, I totally agree. As you know, art scene, fantastic architect, fantastic designer, fantastic visual artist. There is a very strong scene and they are very generous 
all of them together and they create really like a real body that is really amazing. So I feel again to live this excitement to be part of a scene, you know, sometimes this excitement becomes a little lower and sometimes you wonder what are you doing here and going back there. I felt the same excitement when I was, when I was 25, discovered New York, when I went to China to build that first private foundation, when I opened the private Tokyo. So I, I found the same excitement, you know, even though it's totally different experience, I found to live again this kind of incredible momentum for myself and to be, to understand why I am doing this, you know. And is your why the same over time? No, my why changes over time. Getting older, you you want to have more real things, more engaged, more true stories with people, with what you're doing. With of course, it's maybe uh, as I said, as with the age, and you want to to give more. In fact, because you had the chance to get a lot, so you want to give more. You know. Yeah, I think the opportunity to articulate what it is you want and what it is you our offering is so important for me. I don't know if it's evolved over time or if my confidence in speaking my intention has evolved over time or if I have found more kindred spirits or if I don't care if people understand. <laughs> I'm not sure exactly what it is. And I very much relate to the story that you're sharing, what it is you hope to do. It is a privilege, an incredible privilege to define or offer a defined experience for people to interact with art and with each other. It's overwhelming sometimes. Yes, it's like, it's like when you jump on stage and you feel the crowd, you know, it's this kind of uh, incredible momentum that you want to have and you want to give to people, you know. Yes, incredible moments. Yeah. And and part of that is, you know, because you've experienced it yourself. So it comes from, as you said, this generosity of wanting to share it. When you went to China and you worked at the Ulans Foundation, what was happening in China then? What year was that? And what did that feel like? First time I came to China was in 2005. And then life is always a boomerang. It's very interesting because I went in 2005 with a friend of mine, a Chinese artist, that said, why don't you come? I would like you to be invited in one of the, the first art fairs there. And I said, okay, well, I was coming. I was very interested to, to see how it was there. After my talk at the fair, there's that friend, Wang Du, a Chinese artist, and me, told me, why don't we go to see this neighborhood, it's incredible. There is a lot of artists there, studios and things like this. So we went and we, we walked down the alleys and all of a sudden we bumped into one of our friends, Chinese friend, his curator, uh, Fed Away, and he was uh, in this alley and he said, well, I would like to show you this new place. And he showed us this empty, large house building. And we left and said, wow, this place has fantastic potential. Believe it or not, two years later, it opens. One month later, the two collectors called me and said, we need someone that can take us where we want because we have now put this on, thanks to that, that first curator, Chinese curator, but we would like to give a vision, a direction in order to give a local, global direction where 
we want to make the first ever institution in China that has an international level. I came on board in 2000, 2008, a few months after they just opened, and they had the impression to have a Ferrari, but they couldn't only bike. So they asked me, they, after they were looking to a, a director, so they went all over the world to see 10 different candidates, and they chose me because I was the only one to say, when do we go? And they said, uh, they said well, we should start next week. I said, okay, I'm going next week. So because all my friends, they wanted to organize themselves, their lives, see, oh, it takes time, to maybe take six months, maybe one year. And me, I said, well, it's so exciting. I can go immediately. I prepare my bag and we go next week. It's interesting because I was, I was there in 2008. Very soon after it opened, I took a group of donors from the Aspen Art Museum to Beijing and Shanghai. And we went to the Ulans right after, right after it opened. And now that you're sharing that story, we may have met there. Possible, yes. It's interesting because I remember I remember you being there. So at the time was really incredible because they were not a serious art place. They were, of course, museum, but anyone yeah. could show there. You could show yourself there and renting a museum for let's say one day, two, a week, two months, whatever. So you yes. could show them in between very serious and historical artists. So there were no really uh, a place with a uh, with a vision. So but it was very beautiful because the scene, the art scene, was so unique. Uh, again, I felt like to be back in New York where everybody, filmmakers, writers, fashion designers, musicians, and visual artists were all together trying to invent things. And they were never afraid of doing any, any kind of new things, such as opening a bar, making a magazine, making other things. Everybody were able to do things. No one cared at all. It was so much free. I couldn't believe that it was freer than in my own world. It was really unbelievable. But this time, well, I think it's over now because China has really closed the door somehow. So it's very more complex today than it was at the time. And we could do things that I don't think it's still possible there. So it was fantastic to build the platform where all the actors of the, of the Chinese art scene could be together and meet their counterparts from all over the world. So it was like this idea of dialogue between one scene and another. And we did so many bridges. It was really fantastic to open doors to so many incredible cultural actors. So it was really a fantastic moment of my life. Did you go from there to Paris, to Palais de Tokyo? No, I did a little detour. After Palais de Tokyo, I went for a year and a half in north of England, in Baltic, to join the crew of this institution. It's one of the largest art centers in Europe, but they had some kind of trauma recently. So I, together with a friend of mine, we joined the place there to help them to rebuild, to recreate the credibility and the art line and everything. So, and to bring back the eyes of London to Newcastle. So I spent a year and a half there to help to rebuild the thing. It was very, very special because no one understands when you go outside of London, it's another world. And I discovered no, another part of uh, UK that was totally unknown for me before. So it was very strong, very interesting. And we made incredible programming there. So it was nice. Then after that, one year and a half, it happens to be China. So I just put my bag in Paris and then left somehow to China. But in every place where I go, 
I always say that I need to have a food outside, not to fall asleep where I come. My big worry is to be behind a desk and just uh, discuss with the interior things. To see what I do, I need a distance, I need a perspective. So it gives me the critique I can do myself on the system of what I was building with everyone. So if I have too much nose in the plate, I don't see anything of what I'm cooking. So I need to go in order to talk about the place, but as well to think of what I'm doing and to bring back so many things in my bag that I, that I share with the place. So I was living for five years, two weeks in, in China, two weeks in Paris, two weeks in China, two weeks in Paris, back and forth for five years. It was quite intense, but very, very unique and exciting. It's such an interesting point. Before the pandemic, I used to travel all the time, at least twice a month, all over. One of the things I realized that I, I missed so much was looking at art, which sounds obvious, but looking at art in person and with other people and people that I know, but also people that I don't know. That's part of the magic, you know, is seeing how people are affected energetically by what they're standing in front of. This idea of being both an amplifier for your institution, but also being like a gatherer, you know, going out and, and bringing back the most interesting and the best and the unique and the surprising that you find by going away and coming back. There are things that were really second nature and, and kind of obvious. As you said, things shifted, you know, in these surprising or unexpected ways. It's almost like having had an accident and having to relearn, you know, like how to walk or talk or be. In speaking with you today, it's it's a really helpful reminder of, of some of these things I know and maybe kind of forgot I wasn't doing anymore. Yeah, yeah no, I understand. It's, it has been a very interesting period for that because to just uh, for the world in general, how to rethink where, where, where we are, what are we doing exactly. But I hope those questions and those feelings will be developed in something because my fear is that people went back to the same seats where they were before. And when I look outside of my window, I can see people seem to act and behave the same as before. And they seem to have forgotten all the resolutions, that, uh, many of the resolutions that they took. I hope a lot of possible changes will come out of that. Yeah. I'm interested in this idea of stillness. Before I was thinking about this idea of silence, right? And you know what you can hear when you're silent. I mean, you can't actually get to like pure silence. I mean, I, I spend a lot of time in nature and if you can get to a super far away place where the only thing you can hear is actually like your heartbeat because it's really, really, really silent, that's still there, right? So there are more quiet and less quiet places, but silence I think is is kind of like a philosophical impossibility, you know? But stillness is possible, right? Sitting still and being in that space of stillness I think is really interesting. and. To be able to do that on your own, to be able to do that with others, to be able to do that in and around works of art is an exciting thing to encourage. Great. How important do you think the food and drink 
in this new place will be? I am a very simple example, but if I don't eat, my yeah. brain, my body doesn't function. I really admire people that are able to jump a lunch or a dinner. Me, my body asks for food three times a day. So for me, it's instrumental to have my body with proper food in uh, Mexico City. We, we, the ration we have is a model that you know it's from farm to the table. Every product that we have in the kitchen are all coming from farms around Mexico City that are all organic. For us, it's key to deliver to people proper food and to have different range of prices so no one is excluded. So from someone young or less young who have not the economy to buy something expensive, they have a seat that, and they have the possibility to eat as well and to drink. So for us, it's uh, again, it's part of the experience of what you will drink, what you will eat, even your tea or your coffee will be at the highest level. For us, it's, it's very important component. And we have often discussion with, with the owner of the restaurant, with the chef, with uh, all the people working down in, in the rooms. Important. So we have often a kind of uh, collective discussion together with them. They are not just a restaurant on the side. It's the heartbeat of the place. It's yeah. as important for me that the exhibition room I, I agree with you. And I often say that I want to address people's creature comforts. You know, I want there to be plenty of bathrooms. I want there to be places for people to sit. I want people to be able to eat and drink because otherwise you're right, they're distracted. And you can't look at art if you need to go to the bathroom, you know, or you need to sit down or, or you're hungry or thirsty. Yes. So where do you go? There is nothing. So you run somewhere else. So you don't stay long. So it's totally different when you have this possibility of it. And you will bring people that you will never bring in a place where there is not a good restaurant, you know? When people are upset, I say, well, are you hungry? Do you need to go to the bathroom? You know, are you tired? Do you need a hug? So if we can address all of those things, and the equivalent of a hug is looking people in the eye, making them feel welcome, making them feel seen and heard, it's all part of the experience. It's like when you, again, bring people to your house, you want for them to have the, the best that you can give, you know, the same, it's the same. I consider this, this institution as a house, as a collective house that everyone, from the security guys to cleaning people to all people working inside the administration or whatever, all important at the same level. Everyone is part of a collective. Each position is key. There is no one better, there is no one worse. Everybody is responsible of the success, and here it's a success, of being together. What do you say to people who haven't yet come to know that the things that you're sharing are true? How do you address doubters? There is always people that have, that have a lot of doubts, you know. But often, you know, people who have doubts change their mind when they are entourage, their friends, their colleagues, other people talk to them. You don't insist on people who are always a lot of dots. You insist on people around. For me, it's uh, how you reach different communities as well. That's very important, you know. As I said, for me, everybody is a VIP. There is no VIP in the place where I am. And it has to be true because if, if you fake something like this, people understand it immediately. 
so and see immediately uh, in the way people will behave, uh, will not normal to them or will act very strange way. So, you know, it's a world of mouth that is your best voices are not yours, are the, your audience. Your audience is your true voices. It's the same, you know, in any places, again, nowadays, no one can fake because we can all give notes on place where we go. It can be a movie theater, can be a bar, a restaurant, again, a nightclub, or any places where we go, people are putting their comments. You know, so it's, it's by itself. So you can fake, you can pretend, you can say, I am the best in the world. If all the people were typing, you are the worst, or it doesn't function, the food is horrible. I was uh, thrown out when I came in. People were behave, behave very badly to me. It's written, it's written. You know, it comes from the, your audience from the day one. They either accept you, they like you, they love you, or they don't consider you at all. I'm very much looking forward to coming and visiting in Mexico City. I'll be there in February, if not before. I would like to show you around, take you around in Mexico. It's so great right now. But I think discussing with you now, you know, because it's my way of, uh, of uh, existing, I think we should do something together, maybe. That's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking. Let's do something in America together. Yeah. Well, I mean, as we're building this new institution, we will look for, for new collaborators. We're very much in alignment in terms of how we want to serve and how we want people to feel. And it is about the art and it's about all of these other things too. It's about the delivery system uh, as much as it is about what it is we show. Exciting. I can't wait to see your place too. Thank you. We're getting close. We're getting close. Thank you for making the time today. Oh, my pleasure. I was very happy to get to know you and we spent a very nice hour together. So thank you so much. Thanks so much for joining in today. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Jerome as much as I did. I'm super excited for our next episode, episode 96. Join us two weeks from today when my guest is the artist Brian Donnelly, also known as Cause. He is fantastic. And we talk about how works of art can exist in the public realm, how he got started, what his hopes and dreams are for the characters that he's created and how they've existed in the world and how he spends his time in the studio. Conversations About Art is part of HiZ.Art, a multi-platform project that connects all to art through a podcast series, books, talks program, brand collaborations, TV, and more. This episode was mixed by Dominic Anthony Walsh. Our theme music was composed by Eric McDougall. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and review us on whichever platform you listen, as it helps us further our goal of connecting all to art. We will be back again every other Tuesday with new episodes. Thank you so much for being a part of our community.